This is episode 66, Mystery Meat. We're joined by Seth Ressler of mysterymeat.org and a bunch of other stuff. And maybe Professor Allen might join us. Stay tuned. This is the Book Guys Show. I am Paul Alves, sometimes known. I am Paul Alves, sometimes known as Paul the Book Guy. Joined today by uh, Sir Jimmy, as always. How you doing, Sir Jimmy? I'm doing fantastic. It's good to be here. It's, it's such a nice, cozy little group here. I just feel like we're all just going to be besties right after the show. <laughs> I love how we're testing the video today and nobody shaved. Oh. No. I was either lose 10 pounds or shave or don't shave and I, uh, I chose not to shave it's easier and all the way some of you might remember him from the Occupy the Airwaves podcast and his new podcast is Mystery Meat over at mysterymeat.org Mr. Seth Ressler joins us again how are you sir? good thank you for having me I appreciate it yeah, great to have you I actually don't think we ever had you on Book Guys show have we? I don't think you have I think this is my first oh there you go first time's always the charm and this is episode 66. That's 33 times 2. <laughs> so we'll start off uh, talking about, by the way, uh, Professor Allen and Father Robert Balasur not making it tonight. Uh, the professor might join it later. Stay tuned, folks. Stay tuned. <laughs> and we're going to talk about mystery meat. Uh, I really want to find out what is mystery meat. <laughs> <laughs> well, so uh, mystery meat, and the meat is M-E-E-T, not M-E-A-T. Um, it's a social dining group, uh, that I started in Boston actually about three years ago. Uh, it was, the initial idea was, um, you familiar with flash mobs? Yes. Yes. You know, where, so a bunch of people get together and do something random for five minutes and then leave. The idea was uh, a flash mob at a restaurant. What if a bunch of people got together, had a meal and then never saw each other again? And, uh, that sort of morphed into this idea of mystery meat, which is a bunch of foodies who get together at a restaurant to have a meal together, but they don't find out where they're going until 24 hours in advance. So when they pay for their meal, they, they have no idea where it's going to be or who they're eating with or anything. And so it's a big adventure. Uh, and you get really adventurous foodies and, and people who are just having a, a, a good time. Um, and foodies are, foodies are fun people. They're, just, they're fun to hang out with. They tend to be cultured. They tend to be smart people. Um, you know, and it tends to be a relaxed atmosphere. Uh, like so many meetups you go to are singles things or business networking. Here's my business card kind of thing. And these things are just relaxed. It's just people having a good time and enjoying each other's company. So we started that, um, about three years ago and then, uh, just launched a San Francisco chapter a couple of months ago, just held our first Seattle dinner. And uh, a few months ago, I also started the podcast, um, which is called mystery meets fine dining podcast. And we, interview food bloggers from all over the country and the basic gist of it is you know hey i'm uh, a foodie i don't know anything about the city the uh, city of seattle or st louis or memphis or whatever tell me what i need to know about your city and so we sort of talk to them about the culinary scene the local foods the hot restaurants and then we get a restaurant recommendation from them. it's a lot of fun so how can someone uh, sign up for Mystery Meat? I mean, is, is this some? do you choose who the foodies are or do, can they go to mysterymeat.org and, uh, and yes. sign up? Yes, so you go to mysterymeat.org um, and there's this big orange button that says get an invitation. You click it, you sign up. If you're in a city where we've already got them going on, which right now is Boston, uh, Seattle, San Francisco, uh, we're about to launch in St. Louis, um, 
then we will send you an invitation to our next one. Um, if we're not in a city that you're in already, get your friends to sign up because when we see a bunch of interest, we'll start doing them there. In fact, St. Louis was exactly like that. Um, I was not, you know, St. Louis wasn't really a city that we were looking to do it in soon. And then all of a sudden we saw this huge surge of interest. And so we decided, well, we're going to launch it in St. Louis. That sounds like fun. Are you ever planning on coming up north to the Great White North? I- I would love to. We, when we take it international, Canada Canada will be the first place. Excellent. Yes. So, um, <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> Seems safer than taking it to the south. Hey. Whoa. Oh, I, I <laughs> thought you meant like North Carolina. All right. No, 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 no. no. Farther <laughs> south. I meant farther <laughs> south. <laughs> now, now uh, what are some of the more adventurous uh, restaurants that have uh, shown up on Mystery well, Meat? So some of them we've done. We've done some really cool things. So we did um, – the third mystery, maybe the fourth mystery meet we did was dining in the dark. So you were blindfolded for the entire time uh, and you you were eating your whole meal. And, and the people who created that dinner actually brought in musicians and crafted sort of a narration and a whole story behind it. And so you were eating your meal without being able to see it. Nice. Uh, and you were talking to everybody next to you. It was, it was really weird, but it was a lot of fun. Um, we did one that's uh, it's called Flavor Tripping. So there's this berry called the miracle berry and you suck on it and the proteins bind with your taste bud. And so everything that is sour now tastes sweet. So you suck on a lemon, it tastes like lemonade. You drink vinegar, it tastes like apple cider. You eat sour cream, it tastes like plain yogurt. Uh, And so we had a uh, chef from the local culinary college prepare an entire meal all around this berry so you know we've done 10 food trucks where you get to go from food truck to food truck to food truck so some of them have been themed and, and interesting like that that's brilliant it's almost it's almost like uh you know putting on rose colored glasses and you know designing paintings just for someone wearing those glasses so so he was oh. designing this meal or these meals yep. based on you having uh ingested the the miracle berry first that's brilliant and and some of the combinations she put together were were odd. You know, it was like shrimp and strawberries, which you would never <laughs> eat together normally. Uh, I, I don't know. But she put it together. Some of the people on Reddit, subreddit trees, <laughs> might have tried that. Right, right. <laughs> but the rest of us. <laughs> so yeah, um, no, it's fantastic, and it, and it's been a lot of fun doing it because we got to we got to do this. And you know, I was in the music industry for. And, and one of the things I loved about the music industry was the fact that every city had their own culture. Right. You know, and it's sort of the thing that, that I, I, you know, one of the reasons I left was because you sort of got into this clear channelization of the music industry where every radio station in America is playing the same, uh, you know, the same. It, it's Katy Perry it's songs. worse than that now. I, I was reading an article today that not only is, is the, the clear channelization of radio, but uh, DJs are literally being kicked out of clubs. Because they're not playing the set list that the club is told, and these are like are you kidding DJs that are making good money, like top names, are being kicked out of clubs because they're playing songs uh, by unsigned artists, let's say independent artists, or they're not refusing to play certain songs. You know, when the club yep. owner comes up to you and says, "You got to play this Rihanna track because Dick Cheney says so," and right, they say, right. "No, that's not <laughs> what I'm playing next. I'm playing this." They actually been, well, I forget the name of the DJ, but he's actually been dragged out of a club. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, that's just lame. Like, I used to love the fact that you, you go into New England and the Dropkick Murphys and the Mighty Mighty Boston's huge. And you come out to the West Coast and, uh, you know, you'd hear Oingo Boingo and Drama Rama and you wouldn't hear that anywhere else. And you go to, you know, and every little city had their, their own sort of um, 
niche or their own. I mean, you know, look, they're all playing Pearl Jam Jeremy, but but you know, the other songs would be flavored by the city that they were in. And that, that sort of stopped in radio um, yeah. and it became less interesting. So now I have an opportunity to do that with food, to go into these different cities and sort of explore the culinary cuisine. And I love finding out that, you know, they eat ta- toasted ravioli in St. Louis and nowhere else. Right. You know, they call milkshakes <laughs> cabinets when you're in Rhode Island, you know, and, and there's all these in Memphis, coleslaw is not a side. It's a condiment. You put it on the sandwich, you know, and I love learning those fascinating little things. Yeah, like sauerkraut, uh, I learned from the, the Germans that sauerkraut is not a side. It is a meal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you, you were uh, talking about the restaurant where you can't see what you're eating. I, there's, there's a restaurant here in Toronto, and I'm still planning to go. I haven't gone yet, but it's called Noir, and they take it to another level. Uh, you, most of these restaurants will make you put on a blindfold, mm-hmm. uh, but the, the waiters can see and you know, the, the, everyone else can see. Uh, at Noir here in Toronto... Uh, the lights are literally out. There's no lights. Uh, the only light will be to get you to your table, and they only employ uh, servers who are legally blind, 100% blind. Wow. So you're actually the the chefs all can see. Right. <coughs> Sorry, I'm wrong. Not the chefs. Not that the chefs all can see, but uh, it's not a requirement for the chefs. But the, the servers right. are all legally blind. So you start off in a lounge. You have a couple of drinks. You choose your, your – they don't even want, like, you to have some light to see your menu, right? So you right. have to choose your menu before. And they do have uh, the mystery menu. So yep. Almost like mystery meat. You know, they have a mystery menu. And you can just say, here, I'm going to spend 70 bucks, and I have no idea what I'm going to be eating. And they intentionally uh, disguise food as other foods. So they'll, yep. you know, cut carrots in the shape of a <laughs> shrimp, you know. <laughs> it sounds like That's a lot of fun. You know, what was weird when, when I did it, uh, your sense of space is weird, you know, because you take the blindfold off at the end. And, um, you know, I thought the I, I thought the other diners that were sort of in the background, I thought they were much farther away than they actually were. Um, you know, you, you start, you try with silverware when you first start and then you give up on that after, you know, you get your hands course. in there. <laughs> right. And you just go, yeah, I'm just going to get my hands. And you don't know who's going to notice anyway. You know, we would, we would take pictures of each other. <laughs> we took pictures of each other with a camera just by holding it up and, and, you know, snapping shots. And then when um, we went back and looked at them later, we discovered that there were like waiters in the back sort of like making faces behind. <laughs> People the whole time. <laughs> these waiters are like, what are these animals? Look at how they eat. <laughs> now, is this something you so, should wear a white shirt to? Like, did you guys come out with a little bit of stain here and there? Because the yeah, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. So, but it was a lot of fun. It was great. So, mysterymeat.org. Uh, so, I can just go there, sign up, and say, hey, you know what? If, if you get enough interest in Toronto, uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, and you know we haven't done um, we haven't had any Canadian guests on the podcast yet. So if you know any good food bloggers, there you uh, go. You know I'll, I'll take a look around. You know who I really want to get on because I just found out she's a food blogger is um, you know Jewel State the actress. No, I, I was a I was a huge Firefly fan. I don't know if you ever watched the show. You know, it was on for 13 episodes, got canceled. It was a Joss Whedon show by the creator of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And, um, you know, he's written some of the X-Men comics. And, and he did the um, the big superhero movie, the uh, the Avengers that just came out. He wrote okay, that. Yeah. Um, but he had this show, 13 episodes. It was a cowboy western, which in anybody else's hands would be the stupidest thing ever. But it was brilliant when he did it. 
And um, Jewel State uh, played one of the characters on that show. She's from Vancouver, and I just found out she's also a food blogger. So what was her character? She was the... She, she was Kaylee. Oh, yeah, she's engineer. brilliant, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so... She was great She's a it. food yeah. blogger. I had no idea. I didn't either. I I'm just writing found that out, down so. as we speak. Right, so, so <laughs> all right, it's a race. <laughs> if you get her on, let me know. I want to get her on the podcast. I'd love to have the whole crew of Firefly on. Oh, how awesome would that be? <laughs> how awesome. Uh, Entertainment Weekly just published, uh, I just saw it online, um, an article about like 10 things that you need to stop bitching about in the Entertainment Weekly comments. And one of them is the fact that Firefly got canceled. Yeah, you know what? You know? They, they just got to remove the movie Serenity from the, the canon and get Netflix uh, to start them back up. Just like uh, they did with uh, Rested Development. Oh, just, just, just so that the, uh, <laughs> the two characters... So, Jimmy, well, you, wanna... had a, you had a great, great question for, for Seth about uh, Mystery Meat. You just had it in the back channel there. Oh, I That's said, a great uh, idea. Uh, and you're turning, you're turning this into a book somehow? <laughs> uh, is... No. <laughs> I think it would be a great oh, okay. idea. I think you should collect some of your stories and uh, get it out there. <laughs> oh, way to nice. go, Sir Jimmy! Very nice. Yeah, very nice. <laughs> well, there goes yes. there goes any I'm chance a- of us getting her on the show now that she knows you're a stalker. <laughs> I'm you- a huge I'm a huge fan of her. I've never seen the show. Where can I find it? <laughs> oh, oh Netflix.com. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I think the I think Firefly fans are probably one of the most uh, rabid, rabidly just incensed. Over a show being canceled, I've I, I've never seen the show, but I I hear about it once a month about people just upset that it was canceled and you know yeah. they there was no yeah. closure to it. It's just they just yep. snapped it off. Yeah. Well, we we got a movie, so so you know we got that. Yeah. I mean, I, but Arrested Development, uh, Freaks and Geeks, a lot of my favorite shows didn't make it very long. Well, you know, okay, it's, it's like that pod- might say something. Uh, <laughs> you know but it's like podcasting you can't give up keep going build your audience right. uh but in, with things like fox they they want immediate financial right. gain and if they don't they they'll cancel the series after one series they'll cancel it or two series they don't give a, a show a chance to to grow an audience just as people were talking hey check out this space cowboy thing it's great firefly it was canceled and yeah. the more that these mainstream uh, media companies do this the less invested I want to get into a show to the point now that I don't even, if someone says, Hey, there's a new show on, it's great. Now, you know what? I'll watch it on Netflix because. Well, and and that's what I do now is I I like to, because I love these. I don't like these episodic shows where everything's sort of self-contained in the episode. I like the storyline that, that, you know, arcs over an entire season. So I'll, I'll wait on Netflix and I'll watch an entire American horror story in a couple of days or breaking bad or, you know, um, I'm really curious to start the new House of Cards, the one that the original series that's just on Netflix. Brilliant. Go for it. <laughs> have, you, have you seen it yet? I'm not going to spoil it. Go for it. I digested uh, those 13 episodes in like three days. Did you really? Yeah, it's I can't wait. It's just a great way to, uh, to absorb content. Like I noticed through our stats, even on the podcast, that you, know, someone, uh, you can see the new listeners come on and then they'll just go back through our catalog you know, that's yep. how I like to enjoy things. Like, uh, I'll check out, hey, Mystery Meat, what? Seth, Seth has a new <laughs> podcast. I'll do that. I'll, you know, I'll probably listen to, like, all of them in, like, you know, a week. Right, right. Which yeah. is a great way to do it. I mean, you sit down uh, and watch five hours of content. It's like a oh. five-hour movie. 
Yep, yep. United, and I love those shows that suck me in. And like United States of Terra, I watched, I think, the entire three seasons in like three days. So very, just... very well put together site. Uh, I'm just looking here, Seth, mysterymeat.org. Uh, You've got a little video there. And you know what? I'm going to play for our video viewers. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even know they were video viewers. It's the first time we're trying this. I'll play the uh, Mystery Meat video right now. And for our audio listeners, I'm going to play a little couple of clips right now from your podcast. Here we go. So let me ask you about a couple of other uh, Rhode Island foods, starting with a cabinet. What's that? So a cabinet is, is basically like a coffee milkshake. It's coffee, ice cream, coffee, um, you know, syrup and, and milk, and it's just mixed in a blender and delicious goodness, of course. Uh, one of my favorite places to get that is actually a place in Warren, Rhode Island. It's a pharmacy that they brew their own coffee to make the syrup, and it's really delicious. It's Delecta Pharmacy. And I could put Jimmy's on my cabinet, right? Yeah, I suppose you could, although uh, Jimmy's are chocolate sprinkles, and usually you put those on an ice cream cone of sorts, so, you, you, you know, you Jimmy's or no Jimmy's is your choice. <laughs> might, might have to change the episode title right there, Jimmy's on your <laughs> ice cream cone. Or <laughs> Jimmy's or no Jimmy's. <laughs> I got another clip here. Uh, this is Memphis Coleslaw. Let's check this out. Uh, and then tell me a little bit about the pulled pork. Oh, the pulled pork's great. Uh, you know, they, they cook the whole shoulder, and then they're pulling it apart. And um, good pulled pork won't be soggy, and it won't be dry. It'll be nice and moist, especially when you put it on a bread. And you put a little, in Memphis, we put coleslaw on top of our pulled pork, and then you uh, put some barbecue sauce on it with a bun, and there you go. So coleslaw there isn't a side. It's more of a, almost like a condiment. Exactly. Any barbecue place in Memphis lately, because I guess we've had so many tourists come in and ask, you know, why are you putting coleslaw on my sandwich? They'll actually ask you now, do you want it on the side or on the sandwich? But traditionally here in Memphis, we put it on the sandwich. All right. So this is a good tip to know. I didn't know this. If you want to fit in in Memphis, you don't want to stick out like a tourist. You got to put your coleslaw on your pulled pork sandwich. There you go. (laughs) I love those little details. I mean, to me, that's just so fascinating. Yeah, it's it's amazing, you know, and it's amazing in Toronto. A lot of the little shops that are opening up now, and one of them is uh, Smokes Poutinerie. They're from mm-hmm. Montreal, and all they do is poutine. So, uh, for really? those listeners who don't know, poutine is a simple. It's it's uh, fresh, freshly fried French fries, some uh, you know cheese curd, and uh, and gravy. That's what a poutine typically would be in in Montreal and Quebec. And uh, what what's this guy smokes? I forget his name. It's it starts with smokes, but he calls it smokes patinerie. They've got like fifty different kinds. <laughs> I mean, wow. gourmet. Uh, they're in and around ten dollars for one portion. It's a big portion, and they're usually open till four in the morning on the we- uh, on the weekends. They're open till like midnight during the week, and just fantastic. Just the detail that goes into some of this stuff. And uh, I think there is That's one with week- coleslaw on it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I, so I'd never heard of poutine until one of um, one of my podcast guests mentioned it recently, and so I wind up hearing about a lot of foods that, frankly, I've never had before. Um, and it's it's amazing; it's really interesting to me. You know, I moved back to the Bay Area, and um, I, you know, my brother-in-law who's out here loves these little hole-in-the-wall shops, these little Mexican or Vietnamese places, and so we go to a lot of those, and I've discovered all sorts of new things. So mysterymeat.org. We're going to take a quick break, Seth. I hope you can stick around for the rest of the show. Sure. Uh, we got Professor Allen's going to join us just after the break. And we're going to talk about some books and audiobooks and maybe some more podcasts. 
And I'm assuming that Mystery Meat is on iTunes? Yes. The, so the Fine Dining Podcast is on iTunes. Okay. So mysterymeat.org is the website. The, the podcast is the Fine Dining Podcast with Seth Yeah, and, and they're both spelled funny. So Mystery Meat is M-E-E-T. Find Dining is F-I-N-D Dining. Makes sense. There you go. Right. <laughs> we're 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 spelled we are too book guys. It's B O O K for some reason. <laughs> we'll be right back after this with more Seth Resler and Professor Allen. And this is Richard Goodship, author of The Camera Guy on Amazon, and you're listening to the Book Guys. Hi, this is Colin Ferguson. I play Sheriff Jack Carter on Eureka, and you're listening to the Book Guys. To, I can't imagine what the first half of the show was like without, without us as the moral center. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And we're back. <laughs> Sir Jimmy's got a huge hollow book out. Uh, he knows he's on video today. Wow. Yeah, this is the biggest hollow book, I think, in the world. Uh, it's a giant Webster's Dictionary from the 60s. And uh, it's had to do it in three different sections. And it's all got the writing and stuff. And wow, that is really neat. Looking. Yeah, you can fit a lot of grenades and you in there. You can actually sleep inside of it, I think. <laughs> you probably could. <laughs> so we're back, and Professor Allen joins us. Hello, Professor Allen. How are you? Hey, let me give you one of these. Professor Allen! Yeah! <laughs> and you'll be, you'll be pleased to know I was actually professoring. So oh, okay. <laughs> those, those darn students just weren't taking their quiz fast enough. Professor Allen, of course, a real professor. (laughs) We don't give each other. uh, I'm the only one with a fake title here, the book guy. (laughs) We got the the padre is the padre. The professor is a professor. Seth is a Seth. Sir Jimmy was knighted by Adam Curry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, uh, let's let's continue Uh, again. Mystery meat. Now, here's the question because I know uh, during the break we were talking and. Uh, I know I'd love to sign on for this. How, how does it work? If I get like five or six friends together and want to do this, uh, people yep. that are into food, foodies, like you said, uh, w- once we sign up, what happens? Who picks the restaurant? I mean, do you, from all the way from your home base, pick it? Uh, how does it work? No. And, and so we usually have a host. Um, and the host is often a food blogger. Um, but it's usually somebody who's interested, who's a foodie, who's just passionate, who knows the culinary scene. And um, they, they, you know, I work with them to pick the restaurants. You know, they usually have a good idea of the scene, you know, suggest a couple of ideas. I'll check them out online. And, you know, my, I have some general guidelines for restaurants. Um, you know, it should have opened up preferably within the last couple of years. Um, okay. it, uh, it needs to have a biography of the chef on the website. Because if it doesn't, then it's just not the the right kind of restaurant that we're looking right. for. We're not we're not you we're know? not uh, reviewing McDonald's locations. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, and, and I think the real re- the reaction that we're looking for from people is, oh, this place has been on my list of places to go. Right. So you know that's so so we find a host, we work with them, um, we write a couple clues. If you're hosting, it's easy. You know, after that, all you have to do is you show up. Say a couple words at the beginning and just greet everybody. Hey, everybody, thanks right. for coming. I'm so-and-so from the whatever blog. Uh, snap some photos of the food, and then you do a little online write-up afterwards. Um, so there's not much involved in being a host. I take care of the booking it with the restaurant. I take care of all the uh, ticketing and all the you know paying with the credit card and setting the price and all that kind of stuff. I handle all that. Nice. So, so it, my, my favorite food blog is actually 
WestVirginiaHotDogs.com. So I'm guessing <laughs> that there's probably not going to. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. <laughs> but I'm reading HappyOpu.net right now. Okay, and I'm, I'm, guess, I'm also guessing that Smoke's poutinery is out of the question. <laughs> <laughs> but th- this is invaluable information. I mean, uh, I believe, what is it? At three Michelin stars, that means that you should actually fly into that city just to eat that food. So there yeah. are a lot of foodies who do travel. I mean, it's a big deal once you get, I believe it is three or is it two? I'm not sure. But I believe at three Michelin stars, it's, the, the recommendation is, if you can afford it, Fly into you know yeah. Jacksonville to this yep. restaurant just to eat this, then get back on your plane and go home. That's how good it is. Yeah, yeah. So and there are people, and so um, we you know that's why we launched the podcast. And I'm working on a secret project right now uh, called Taste Trekkers. That's for people who specifically plan their travel around where they want to eat. Ooh, so. and there's a sneak peek on your website for Taste Trekkers. There is, there is. We just uh, let, released that a couple of days ago. Okay. So. Now, now you're you're probably organized enough to get around this, Seth. But I understand that some restaurants are trying to clamp down a little bit on patrons, you know, photographing inside the restaurant or photographing the food. Do you, since you're sort of working with them, does that? Do you guys get around that or? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I read stuff? that. You know, I I, I think you gotta. You know, you got to embrace that because, I mean, these are people who, you know, they're spreading word about your restaurant for free. Hopefully good word. You know, hopefully you put good food out. But, um, yeah, no. And, in fact, we've done some work with a a mobile app called Forkly, which is all about taking pictures of your food and posting it online and, uh, you know, getting it out there and reviewing it for people to see. So, um, but no, I mean, I let the restaurants know these are people who are very social media active and, and do like to, you know, quite often we have a lot of food bloggers, so they will come on and, and share their thoughts on food. Yeah, I, I can't understand why any restaurant would not want you taking pictures of, your, of their food unless their, you know, presentation is crap. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, the restaurants that we do, you know, that isn't usually a concern. They're used to it, right. you know. But there is this whole culture that I, I think just in the last couple of years have come up of these foodies who are on the Internet and connecting. You know, when I was in Boston, there was a fantastic scene of, of uh, food bloggers who would get together and they all knew each other and, you know, were just connecting and things like this. Have you found restaurants willing to embrace the social and the new media? Or are they still stuck in the I've got to get the newspaper restaurant critic to come into into the restaurant and you guys on the internet may matter you may not matter or or do do they have a more modern approach you know i think they've they've come with a more modern approach especially because more and more as i've talked to people who are actually restaurant critics um you know there's there's less and less pay for work like that i mean newspapers are cutting back and and it's also it's interesting because it's a different culture you know the restaurant critics used to be anonymous people didn't know who they were you didn't know when they came into the restaurant they would come into the restaurant three four five six times uh before finally writing a review and now you've got people who um don't mind being seen they don't mind if you know who they are they they may be trying to parlay their you know food blog into something bigger um and and so they it's just not the same thing (laughs) you know what i mean it's evolving in a lot of ways i don't have you seen the 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 guy, the jackass who released that black card that says, I'm a reviewer, and he's charging $100 for it. 
And so the whole idea is you roll into a restaurant and you put this card down and you let the, you know, the, the wait staff know I'm a reviewer. And so hopefully they'll treat you better. <laughs> uh, you know what? Got- if you, if you put that card down right away, I, I would look at that and say, he's not a reviewer. <laughs> no reviewer wants to know. First, first rule of fight club. Yeah, that's right. right. Don't talk about fight club. Exactly. Yeah, this guy, this guy got crucified on the online you know for doing this but uh you know he tried to make a buck out of it everyone tries to make a buck what can you do mysterymeat.org looks like a lot of fun i am going to sign up toronto we'll see what happens where seth will take us what will happen uh yeah lots of fun and the find f-i-n-d dining podcast check that out on itunes and uh yeah we love us a new podcast to check out i know sir jimmy you like the food Sir Jimmy's always p- picking something out of the garden fresh, and you've always got some great combinations going on there. You know, I know you're a big uh, listener of Garden Fork. Yeah, I'm very disappointed that because I re- really do like to try, try a new thing. Hello, Skype. He's now. I grew up. I was just. I wasn't open to trying anything that I hadn't eaten when I was a child. And you know, the last ten years, you know, I just turned forty, and it's time to start eating something. I'm gonna be dead soon. That's right. <laughs> we can enjoy it while we're here. <laughs> uh, we usually start the show with this, but we didn't. Uh, what's on your Kindles? What's on your night? We need a jingle. This is the, the one segment we do every show we don't have a jingle for. What are you listening to? <laughs> what are you reading? What's on your nightstand? What's on your Kindles? What's on your Kobo? What's on your iPad? Uh, I finished. I'll talk about it in a bit. The Astounding, The Amazing, and The Unknown by Paul Melmont, a very, very interesting book. And I liked it so much, I took the time to convert all these CDs because they didn't fit into my iPad. Took a while to convert them, but I did it. Uh, Professor Allen, anything new on your table this week? I am about... I'm about three-quarters of the way through the first uh, Hunger Games book and enjoying that. It just it just missed, you know, like I... I think I, I, I tweeted or Facebooked. I'm reading The Hunger Games. I'm boldly walking into 2008. And nice. So, hey, you're going to do what few, I do. Connect, connect years Facebook. behind the times. But. Connect all the Facebooks, Twitters, and all tweeters and Insta. Just connect them all. When it says, can I connect? Sure. Yes. Just click, keep clicking OK. <laughs> that way, no matter which one you use, it'll pump it out to all of them. Who That's cares? That's what I said. That's right. But that, when, when those, uh, you know, when, those, when the books hit, um, they were just... My daughter was just a wee little bit too old, knocking out her high school, college a- college applications, and getting into getting into college. So she didn't pick up on them until you no, know, she you know we we uh, read them this last you know this last Christmas. She picked them up, and so I'm reading them too. Nice. So like I say, a little behind the times, but that's that's us. <laughs> well, you know, second movie coming soon, so enjoy it. Nice. Uh... YA fiction, great stuff. Mm-hmm. Sir Jimmy, anything new? Anything being carved out in the hollow book bunker other than that huge Webster dictionary? No, uh, actually, things are kind of slow this time of year. Uh, you know, Christmas being over, the, I, I won't even tell you the last three books have sold have all been the uh, the best selling book in history. So uh, we won't mention that. Okay. Um, I do have a book here that I just recently received that's it's up for review. It's not available to the public yet. So can we talk about Dan Hampton's new book? Oh, yes, we can, because we are going to have Dan Hampton, 
most decorated Viper pilot in U.S. history. He's the man. He'll be back soon. He, it's his, fi- his first fiction work. Dude, two dogs. Two dogs. Two dogs. This is the way he goes by. Yeah. <laughs> He's pumping the chaff right now. That's right. <laughs> sure. Check it out. Yeah. Tell us about it. All right. Mercenary is the name of the new book. That's right. We got some uh, preview copies on our digital devices. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> and Seth, anything uh, on your book, on your Kindle, or anything too busy doing the mystery? What am I reading? I um, I actually just went back and reread The Hobbit because the movie came out. Lord of the Rings was my favorite book as a kid, and I hadn't read that since I was a kid. And um, I, I kind of wanted to see how many how many liberties they were taking, and the answer is a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> it's like three hundred pages. <laughs> yeah, it's it. The book is not very long at all, and uh, you know a lot of the characters they pulled from the appendixes, and yes. and um, you know like the main bad guy is not in the book at all. Right. There's a, you know one of the wizards that shows up who's really kind of loony in the movie, and, and yet and they're going to get eight hours out of this. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> eight or nine hours of movie. A, look, look. I mean, I, I. I understand that that take that criticism, but they got you know ninety five minutes out of where the wild things are, and that book's about a hundred words long. So, <laughs> and, you know, uh, and Mister Senak, I believe is his last name. Uh, the wild things mm-hmm. are. Uh, yeah. Apparently, he's left us behind a little gift. Uh, I don't have the title right now. I'll, I'll probably do it after the break. That. But uh, apparently, he has one book that he wanted to be released posthumously. And so we'll have one more from him. Maybe we'll talk about it next week when the Padre's back. Because, you know, my memory. (laughs) I have a USB stick that has more memory than I do. Scary. (laughs) (laughs) So I finished. I talked about it last week. And time to play another jingle. What the hell? Science fiction. The amazing. The astounding. The amazing and the unknown. By Paul Malmont. I'm going to reiterate, if you are a fan of classic pulp sci-fi, I mean, where it all started, the, the Asimovs, the Heinleins, the L. Ron Hubbard, for Christ's sake, here it is. It's a fictional story. Paul, Paul Melmount, he takes all these sci-fi writers, and this is actually based in some fact. There was some, um, it was more of a decoy program, because they were at the same time Manhattan Project developing, the United States was developing the atomic weapon. So one of the decoy programs they had was uh, putting out misinformation saying that, well, we're getting all these sci-fi guys together and, you know, we're going to see if what they can dream up, you know, death rays and all these things that they have in their stories. And, you know, including some of their stories included like the atomic bomb. So they had to put the kibosh on that one. But they get together. These are characters in the book. Bob Heinlein. Isaac Asimov, L. Ron Hubbard—they're all in a, in a in a in a basement somewhere. The, the the army has got these writers together, and the army really doesn't want them to actually come up with anything. They're just throwing millions of dollars at them just to, you know, get the word out on the street so that the you know the German spies and whatnot, the Russian spies will uh, you know fall for this. But it turns out that these sci-fi writers find out that Nikola Tesla may have a secret laboratory somewhere in New York. So they find that it's, it's all so well linked together by Paul Melmond. Uh, he takes existing historical events. So they're looking for Tesla's tower. 
right? Which uh, apparently uh, he tested once as a weapon. It was on Long Island. It was, it was <laughs> Warden Cliff. Actually, I just funny you Warden say Cliff. that. Warden Cliff. Yes. I, I, I read a short story about Nikola Tesla last night. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> so so Tesla. So Tesla. Um, Paul Melmont, I guess, in his research for the book, figured out that the Tesla working on the tower coincided with the Tunguska event in Russia, which I knew a little bit about, which was, uh, uh, most people think it's a meteorite strike or an asteroid, an asteroid strike that leveled about 2 million trees in, uh, you know, in a section of uh, Siberia. So Paul Melmont ties that to the Tesla tower to the point where he says that, you know, the Tesla tower first firing of this weapon caused that event. So the, you know, the sci-fi boys, the writers start hunting after Tesla's thing. And I'm not, I don't want to spoil any more than that, but Paul Melman does a great job of uh, not only uh, making this adventure work within the time with the history, uh, bringing in so many historical events and tying them somehow together. Uh, he also, through the conversations between the sci-fi writers, uh, brings you a history of pulp sci-fi and how sci-fi changed the world pretty much and how they wrote. He brings in details of some of the details. I only know this because I knew some of the details about like L. Ron Hubbard's life and Bob Heinlein's and, uh, you know, uh, Isaac Asimov's. So he brings details about those authors and brings them into the story as well. So you end up learning a lot about early sci-fi pulp fiction. Um, it's a lot of fun. There's even like a Spoiler alert here. Yeah, I might as well hit the spoiler alert on this one. You know, just go ahead 20 seconds, folks. Spoiler alert. But there is a, a little bit of a origin story for L. Ron Hubbard and Scientology in here as well. So it's through the events of the story, uh, L. Ron Hubbard, you can see where L. Ron Hubbard gets the idea for Scientology. <laughs> so it's the... Uh, it's- it's the League of Extraordinary Literary Gentlemen. I would not have the huge gigantic nuts to write. <laughs> Sorry, Paul Melmont, those guys following you in the black sedan, they're Scientologists. <laughs> they just want to have a chat. <laughs> That's right. They just want to have a chat. <laughs> hey, folks, we love you all. You can believe in whatever you'd like. The, uh, the belittle anyone's religion. made for a couple of great X-Files episodes. Yeah. Yes. And I have a little uh, little clip here, brilliantly narrated by Christopher Lane. I, I, I did, uh, this is a Brilliance Audio CD. It is available on Audible, although I did use my Audible credit this month for something else. But uh, I'll play a little clip here from The Astounding, The Amazing, The Unknown, a novel by Paul Melmont. Johnny asked eagerly. You know, his hands cut a wavy path through the air. For God's sake... Other Johnny, who had just rotated through the revolving door along with a few other familiar faces, though not the Buddha, said, Dick's a married man. The silence surrounded them all as if the thick New York air had suddenly poured through the doors and swirled around them. While most of the men had turned to examine the marble inlays on the floor or the deco lamps, Julian cleared his throat and gave other Johnny a nudge and a murmur. Jesus, Johnny. Dick hated moments like this. He had built a staunch dam to hold off the black pain, thick enough that he couldn't hear its lapping waves, could almost forget. But for all the construction and heavy materials, simple turbulence always caused the dark waters to spill over the top. He felt that the others were aware that he was now soaked, 
and chilled. Worse, he could tell that they were afraid that they had been splashed. It was now his mess to clean up. He had to make the others feel good, even though he felt awful. That's okay. He smiled, trying his best to be reassuring, to let them know the sadness that had touched his life wouldn't touch theirs. Oh, God, I'm so sorry, Dick. It's just that seeing everyone here again, I forgot about what happened with Evelyn. Really, Johnny, it's fine. Don't worry about it. Go on, Dick, Julian said. What could some actors have possibly said to you to so captivate your intellect? He took a deep breath, forcing the darkness back behind the dam. She's an inventor. Of what? Eddie sneered. Lipstick? Now hold on to your hats, fellas. The Ziegfeld girl has patented a method of getting radio signals to hop frequencies across the spectrum so that no one can intercept them or block them except the receiver, which is in such perfect sync that an airplane can control a torpedo in the water below. The men surrounding him, and there were even more now than there were a few moments ago, grew silent. There was a lot of powerful gray matter in the room, and each molecule was pondering whether such a thing was possible. How'd she do that? Julian asked at last in a subdued voice, which indicated that much of his brain was still churning over the information. Her co-inventor is a composer who's done a lot of work getting player pianos to, well, play in perfect unison. And, you know, i got to reiterate, like, I sometimes say that Audible picks these things at random. I'm going to say no, because any random clip from that audiobook would have been better than that clip. I think they actually, Audible actually employs a guy whose job it is to see that Audible does not sell audiobooks. Because, I mean, there's, <laughs> excuse me, there, there, I mean, okay, you got a little bit of uh, Isaac, you go, oh, Isaac Asimov, he was in there for a second. But uh, uh, there's conversations between Einstein and, you know, you got Tesla, you got, ah, ah come on, Audible. Pick some does better the, clips. Does the uh, does does the book have that nineteen thirties nineteen twenties sort of pulp feel to it, or sort of was it how modernized? Do you think that there it, it the does? It's, I mean, it's set in the forties. It's very you're immersed in in the pulp feel throughout it. Uh, it is kind of a pulp pulpish story. Uh, it's almost like you're in a shadow, you know, radio play. The the, the events that are going on. Uh, actually, the the creator of the shadow is one of the characters, of course, in in, in the the <laughs> book. Course. Again, if you're into classic sci-fi, it's a must read or or listen. I would say listen. He does a great job with the voices. Uh, what's the gentleman's name? Christopher Lane. Um, he's done over a hundred audiobooks. Uh, he, you can tell which which is Ice, uh, you know, Asimov, which is Heinlein. Uh, he does the, all the ladies. Uh, you know, I love it when a narrator can do uh, you know the German accent and you know. Uh, you know the uh, you know it's just great love it check it out <laughs> the astounding the amazing the unknown by paul malmont there you go and what's coming up i don't know you know what let me check my audible app here i like the uh the new syncing between i'm I, oh here I'm, I'm listening to a horror i haven't done a horror in a while uh this is 14 i don't know if you can see that 14 by Peter Kleins. It's about a, at this point, I think it's a haunted apartment in New York. In New York. <laughs> Good times. So, gentlemen, we're going to move on to the point in the show where I play this one here. 
news. Why not? Because we can. Our, our friend here, Corey Doctorow, new book, Homeland, sequel to his uh, New York Times bestseller, Little Brother. See if we can get Corey Doctorow on. Uh, I think Padre might have an in with Corey Doctorow. I mean, they've done podcasts together, so see if we can get him in. His new novel out. Was uh, Corey Doctorow's father a, a writer of some regard? I do not know. There is an mm. E.L. Doctorow. I do not know if mm. they are that's related. What, that's yeah, what that's I was what you're thinking. thinking. Yeah. Question number one when we have him on the show. <laughs> Consult All the right. book of knowledge. That's right. <laughs> uh, Adolf Hitler novel tops German bestseller chart. A satirical novel about Adolf Hitler, set in the present day, has climbed to the top of Germany's bestseller charts. Er ist weiter da. He's back. Has sold more than 400,000 copies since its release. <laughs> Keeping it at the top of the Spiegel's bestsellers chart since mid-December. You can maybe take a look at this. Uh, Did er you say Weiderda. historical novel or hysterical novel? Because that does make a difference. <laughs> I don't know. Unless it's like the movie Iron Sky. I don't see how it could be hysterical. <laughs> uh, we, we've got also some comic news. We'll get to that in a bit. Uh, but I've got a little clip here. Mr. Al Gore having a little bit of trouble on his uh, book tour. Sir Jimmy, have you been following this? Ever since selling uh, Current.TV to oil barons, he keeps getting these questions. And I'm going to take this right <laughs> off the political blog. You know, folks know from another podcast, I love me some liberal blogs, conservative blogs, libertarian blogs. I just love all blogs. Uh, here's a quick clip here from Politico. Uh, just cut together. I mean, you know, there's a spin on this because Politico, but uh, you get the gist of it. There might be a commercial. We'll see. I love live television. Hit it. That's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> I have to challenge you a little bit, though, and ask sure. this question. You just sold current TV to Al Jazeera, which is funded by Qatar, uh, which is funded by oil. Uh, is it okay then for you personally to, I'd say, profit from oil? Uh, the book is called uh, The Future uh, by, and then there's your name right there. Although I have to say, given the sale to, of current to the people you sold to, perhaps it's pronounced Al Gore. <laughs> Al Jazeera. Can mogul Al Gore, who has current TV and sells it to Qatar, which is an oil-based economy, can mogul Al Gore coexist with activist Al Gore, and is that, and is it difficult, if you couldn't find for your business a more sustainable choice to, to sell to... I think it is what, sustainable. What, what is not sustainable about it? You had an opportunity to make a statement, probably, about your principles, and some people would feel, and well, for me as well, I, I thought it was an odd move. Sold current TV the network that you co-founded to Al Jazeera for an estimated $500 million. According to the reports I've seen, your take on that, about $100 million pre-tax. 
Was that always just an investment to you? Uh, maybe I was naive. Oh, no, no, I no, thought no. it was something that you had an ideological Absolutely. interest in. So why and, did it and it goes on and on and on like that. I know it's a lot of waiting for not much of a clip, but uh, the question here is just food for thought. I thought that Al Gore was, you know, uh, preaching from the heart when he was preaching all of this, but apparently there's a price tag on his love of the earth, and it's a hundred million dollars. Like to the point where now he's saying that, well, no, no, oil is sustainable. <laughs> <laughs> that, uh, that was an odd quote. <laughs> you know? I, I, but I think you know that uh, it goes back. It's a quote by uh, P.J. O'Rourke, commentator on the other side of. The, of the aisle who always said that one one rich man can do more good in the world than all the people with visualized world peace bumper stickers combined. And, you know, <laughs> with 500 million, you know, or that take, he can do some of what he thinks is good probably. Yeah, you know, and he did refuse a couple of offers. I think one of them was Glenn Beck. So, I'm, you know, <laughs> I don't know which is worse, you know, giving up all of your, you know, uh, morals as far as uh, the earth goes or giving you know letting glenn beck take the reins of a, another media company i don't know right. maybe he made the wise decision but I'm, I'm surprised they're actually uh you know taking him to task on this what can you, know? you do it's never a thing john stewart puts his serious voice on yeah yes. <laughs> 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 gets, you know oh, really <laughs> you know that's, That's not good. what you want to be with John Stewart. There's a reason we uh, don't use Skype, and we love the GoTo meeting. But we're using Skype today to you know to try this whole video thing. Let's get Sir Jimmy back. Uh, Skype does have a little bit more bandwidth issues than the GoTo meeting does. Uh, GoTo meeting seems to do HD video a lot better. I mean, we're not even using HD video today, and uh, we're having dropouts and whatever. But it's it's a Skype issue. They'll they'll get it right eventually. They'll get it right. Yeah. Yeah. I got as, soon as, as, as soon as Apple buys it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. But then they'll remove half the buttons. It'll be really easy to use. And just a quick one here. There's a um, non-canon Adventures of Superman a comic book coming out. And uh, the only reason this one caught my eye, because yeah, there's a new Superman comic uh, comes out every week. Uh, the first issue of this comic is going to be written by... Orson Scott Card and Aaron Johnson with art by Chris Sprouse and Carl Story. Uh, I'm, I'm going to buy it. I want to see, you know, I want to see a Superman uh, comic written by Orson Scott Card. Could be fun. Is, is this the digital? I believe this digital, is the digital uh, first series. Yes. This is the first, uh, it's going to be digital. I'm not sure if it's going to be digital only. It's going to be digital first is what they're calling I it. I think, yeah, I think they did a digital only with, uh, with a Batman. That they tried. This is their second second foray. I imagine at some point there'll be a printed version, probably. What does that mean when they put out a non? I mean, I know what you mean when you say non-canon, but but I mean, are you saying it's fan fiction? Are you saying it's no? It's not going to follow the 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 canon or the storyline of the current Superman uh, comics. They're just going to take classic Superman and uh, maybe not not Golden Age, not like forties nineteen thirties Superman, but they're going to just do a, a full out classic superman they're gonna ignore the wives and the children and the <laughs> you know the crypt you know kryptonians right, in a bottle right. and just start it, from scratch kind of thing it is it is out of continuity yes mm. and to and and to comic book people that matters a lot right 
<laughs> yeah, because because you know, come on, that matters a lot. They rewrite canon every week. <laughs> we just got to get used to it. And 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 some of my friends go crazy about that. <laughs> I don't even know if <laughs> Superman married Lois Lane anymore. It's like this is what like being a time traveler is like when they rewrite time. No idea. Is Superman still married? I don't know. Someone write us. Paul the book guy at me dot com. Paul the book guy on Twitter. Oh, Seth, what's your Twitter handle, by the way? Uh, mystery underscore meat, M-E-E-T. Brilliant. Of course, we have free hollow books on Twitter. We can see your sign, Sir Jimmy, today. Move out of the way. What's that sign? Yeah. There you go. Professor Allen is. I said, here's blog. You know, we do have lower thirds now, Professor Allen. You don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> There'll be a lower third, but thank you. At least now I can look at it and write down what should be on the lower third. Uh, what do we have next week, Sir Jimmy? <laughs> I love, I love huge, it's, hitting them with it. It's a huge show, big show. Gonna be a big, really big show, really big show next week. <laughs> Episode sixty-six, almost in the can, my friend. Lots of fun talking to Seth. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to check out your podcast, Seth. Hope you'll join us again soon. Absolutely. You really should write a book about this uh, meat blog here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I know what we have next, next week. Next week, we have author William Kent Kruger, New York Times bestseller. Oh, yes. Here's his new book, Ordinary Grace. Yes. Nice. Going to be a good one. Another New York Times bestseller. Another Thank New York Times bestseller. <laughs> and we are going to be back again. Same book time. Same book channel. Same book channel. <laughs> Stay tuned, book readers and book listeners. Paul the Book Guy will be back next week. Same book time. Same book channel.